Hello and welcome to another episode of Tax Updates with Ron Cohen. I'm with the CPA firm of Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson & Company, located in Fremont, California. Our phone number is 510-797-8661. And I'm going to cover a couple of things today. One is about how they got a group of Indians who were calling your grandma, asking her to pay her taxes on the phone. And most of the time we're going to spend on a House committee hearing regarding multi-state tax compliance related to the Wayfair case, which if you've been listening to this podcast or been active in the CPA or tax law world, um, has been a great source of anxiety and work. Okay, so um, first some caveats. One, don't take any reliance on anything you hear on this podcast. If you have a tax issue, go seek out a qualified tax advisor. Give them all the facts. Let them do their research. Make sure you're comfortable with the person and make sure you agree with it before you use any advice in any transaction or put any numbers on a tax return and file it. Okay, and also uh, there's some plagiarism all over this podcast. The uh, practice of taxes is not a work of art. We're not writing any novels. Uh, we steal uh, information from the Internal Revenue Co uh, Code and regulations, which they, they absolutely want us to use that. And um, the other commentators, I will quote um, and often try to give them credit, but uh, don't think for a moment that much of what you hear on this podcast is an original thought. Okay, th further, there's no politics. You can listen to other podcasts all day and night about politics, although we do mention where politics enters into tax policy. Uh, we are more than happy to do returns and tax planning. Uh, we'll give you the phone number again at the end of the podcast here. And uh, also note that I am no cheerleader for the tax system. Uh, while we have to follow the laws and do things as best we can, you have to get an A on tax returns, not a A minus or a B or a C. You got to do it right. Got to follow the rules. I think our system is overbearing, tedious, and uh, way too complicated and expensive, and we should change it any way we can. All right. So now getting into quickly, I was thinking to myself uh, a few days ago, you know, I really haven't gotten a phone call lately from someone with an Indian or Arab accent, no disrespect to them, who is telling me that the police are going to come and pick me up in 20 minutes if I don't pull out my credit card and send the money. And that was happening fairly often to me and my clients, uh, not because we owed the government anything, but because there are a bunch of telephone scamming operations all over the world. Well, I just saw that on January 9th, the Department of Justice put out in a press release, well, they got some of them. They tracked them down through our treaty, um, treaty process and our ability to extradite people and uh, do criminal investigations in treaty partner countries. They, uh, Indian nationals pleaded guilty to owning, funding, and operating Indian-based call centers that scammed U.S. victims out of millions of dollars. Hey, they got some. Good, they got them. An Indian national pleaded guilty today in the Southern District of Texas for his role in operating and funding India-based call centers whose callers 
and the U.S.-based conspirators defrauded U.S. victims out of millions of dollars between 2013 and 2016. Excuse me if I say the names wrong. Hitesh Mahabadi Patel, also known as, well, we'll skip that, 43 years old of Ahmedabad, India, pleaded guilty to wire fraud, conspiracy, and general conspiracy to commit identity fraud, access device fraud, money laundering, and impersonation of federal officers and employees. Well, congratulations to the Department of Justice. Again, my, my phone has definitely settled down, and it looks like they got, got them, at least some of them. I don't think the scams are entirely over, but that's good to hear that. Uh, uh, excuse me, in, in look, looking at this article, this, this guy was uh, running a fairly large operation overseas. Yes, he got more than $65 million dollars from taxpayers, uh, 24, there's 24 domestic defendant associates. Oh my goodness. A big operation. Thank God it's uh, shut down. All right. Now what I really want to cover in this episode is, uh, the Wayfair. You may have heard, uh, through your own reading or observation, or you're experiencing the fact that the 2008 Supreme court case came in and has greatly expanded the reach of state sales tax, and I also believe income tax, to anybody selling across state lines. Uh, a lot of people felt some of the rules didn't apply to them, even though under certain state laws they may have, it could be argued. But Wayfair came along, on, and since it's a Supreme Court case, that really uh, is the highest law of the land. Uh, in order to overrule a Supreme Court case, Congress has to go pass a new law that says the old law is no longer effective, here's a new law, and then that new law would have to go to the Supreme Court to see if uh, it would still be deemed to be constitutional. But So nobody's trying to put aside Wayfair, as far as I know. So Wayfair is the law of the land. And here the uh, on March 3rd, there was a committee hearing. Let me back up and say my clients, uh, people all over the country, uh, much more sophisticated groups than I'm ever involved in, have been begging and pleading to get some of the compliance requirements that uh, some were alive before Wayfair, but certainly they were supported and reinforced by the Wayfair de de decision, greatly increasing the cost of tax compliance. So those screams and yells and pleas for help made it their way to the uh, Committee on Small Business, uh, that's a subcommittee on, uh, on economic growth, tax, and capital access in the House of Representatives. And they held the hearing on March 3rd. Well, to my uh, uh, pleasure, in working up to that hearing, uh, the staff lawyers and so forth wrote just an excellent summary of how in the world we got to be where we are today, where a simple company operating out of their mother's basement, selling things over the internet, over various state lines, can have thousands of sales tax and perhaps income tax filing requirements throughout the country. So I am going to read through this uh, summary of uh, what the hearing was about so that uh, because it, it's one of the best pieces of uh, literature, <laughs> factual literature about this situation I've heard in years. So here we go. And I hope uh, you enjoy it as much as I do. It, it's, it's, it's a good writing about a terrible situation. Okay, the Committee on Small Business Subcommittee on Economic Growth, Tax, and Capital Access will hold hearings 
entitled South Dakota versus Wayfair Inc. Online sales taxes and their impact on Main Street on Tuesday, March 3rd, which has gone by uh, over in the Rayburn House office building, which is where the house does much of its work. Uh, The hearings will focus on the impact to small business firms as a result of the decision in South Dakota versus Wayfair regarding online sales taxes. And again, let me preface all this. If you have sales tax nexus, it is a very short, logical, factual leap to have income tax nexus. And if you have income tax nexus, you have to allocate and apportion your taxable income to every state where you may be selling into, and um, the cost compliance calculations just go through the roof. So that's why this is so important. One, just on the sales tax issue alone, but secondly, on the uh, reach over into the income tax side. In Wayfair, the Supreme Court overturned a previous ruling where it determined that states could only collect sales tax from businesses that had a brick-and-mortar location in those states. Members will have the chance to hear from witnesses about the United States Supreme Court landmark 2018 court ruling, how the law has been applied by states, and its impact on small businesses. And then they go to list the various people who will be testifying. Uh, So one gentleman from the AICPA, which is great. That's the CPA's uh, organization and lobbying group. Here's the background. Small business owners have long been a critical stakeholder in tax decisions. Yeah, because small businesses are most of the country. As they say here, small business owners generally have agreed with respect to tax policy center uh, to, on having a low tax burden, decreasing the cost of tax compliance for all small firms, having a tax code that is simple to understand, and tax policy that creates certainty, certainty, certainty for small businesses. One reason small businesses biz, firms face complexity and uncertainty is because many have to monitor and comply with federal, state, and local tax rules. This is especially true for small businesses that sell goods online and across state lines. And let me just add, even if you're selling a service, many states transform that service into being deemed to be a tangible good. So you think, well, I'm not shipping anything UPS to anyone. I just have this neat uh, neat, uh, website where people go for information or some other type of service. That can be deemed to be uh, the sale of tangible property, and you're right back into these rules. Going back to reading this, currently 45 states in the District of Columbia levy sales tax on the sale of goods, including goods sold over the Internet. When including local sales tax jurisdictions, there are over 10,814 unique sales tax jurisdictions across the country, including 1,594 in Texas, 1,393 in Missouri, and 1,002 in Iowa alone. The number of jurisdictions and tax rates that uh, that uh, jurisdictions charge change frequently, making it extremely difficult for small businesses to comply with these numerous jurisdictions. Complying, uh, complicating matters is in fact, uh, different jurisdictions often often have different definitions uh, as to what is uh, taxable. For example, knitters purchasing yarn in New Jersey pay sales tax on yarn purchased for art projects, but do not pay sales tax on yarn designated for sweaters. Prior to the Wayfair decision, states and localities were unable to collect sales taxes from out-of-state sellers that did not have adequate nexus to the state. 
For over 50 years, nexus was defined as physical presence within the state. The U.S. Supreme Court upended that precedent in Wayfair, defining adequate nexus as where the remote seller avails itself of the substantial privilege of carrying on business in that jurisdiction, which is legal mumbo-jumbo for where you're selling, the state where you're selling into. This, set of st- this sets the stage for state and localities to implement their own online tax regimes, regimes I- impacting millions of small businesses. Here's some of the history. The U.S. Supreme Court first wrestled with this issue of the collection of sales tax from out-of-state vendors in National Bellis-Hess versus Illinois Department of Revenue in 1967. I'm old enough to remember when that went through. Oh, my gosh. The court, when deciding whether an out-of-state mail-order business with no physical presence, no employees, no, no offices, no trucks driving around that they own, no physical presence... Uh, in the state was required to collect and, s- and pay sales tax held that a business must have a physical presence within the state's border for the state to collect sales tax. This decision was affirmed in Quill Corp. They're an office supply store many of you may use. Quill Corp versus North Dakota with the court articulating that the physical presence under the due process clause is established when and out-of-state sellers' efforts are purposefully directed toward the residents of the taxing state. Again, needed to have somebody in the state you're selling into, not just the sale. After the severe state revenue declines following the Great Recession, and may I add, the rise of the Internet, several states enacted nexus laws, Connected, connecting ro- remote vendors to s- the state, thereby allowing the collection of sales taxes and use taxes. Colorado enacted a statute which required retailers that do not collect Colorado sales or use tax to notify Colorado customers of their use tax liability. Oh, they, they must have loved that. The Direct Marketing Association filed a suit challenging the law. The district court, citing Quill, overturned the law. The trial court's decision was appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court and Direct Marketing Association versus Broll in 2015. In its opinion, and this is really, really important, in its opinion, the court yet again upheld Quill's physical presence standard, but, 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 Justice Anthony Kennedy stated in his dissenting opinion that the legal system should find an appropriate case to re-examine the Quill standard. So here you have a Supreme Court justice in a dissenting opinion. He lost the case he was hearing, saying, you know, there should be another case where I get to win because I think what we're doing now is wrong. And so, and this is my humble opinion, as you'll hear in a second, the states took him up on that. In light of the Broll and the Justice Kennedy dissent, a number of states, including South Dakota, enacted laws with the explicit intent to prompt the U.S. Supreme Court to reconsider Quill. In other words, they were constructing audits to trigger an appeal up to the Supreme Court. South Dakota's law required businesses who met a specified threshold of economic activity, $100,000 in annual gross revenue, or 200 or more in-state separate transactions. How about $201 transactions? Boom. You need to start collecting sales tax. To collect and remit applicable sales tax, and use tax to the state. 
As soon as the law was enacted, South Dakota fought, as soon as it was enacted, because <laughs> they always had an intent to get back to the Supreme Court. As soon as it was an enacted, the, the South Dakota filed a declaratory judgment against online retailers arguing that under the new law, they should collect sales and use tax in the state. The, tr in the trial court upheld the declaratory judgment, and South Dakota Supreme Court overturned the trial court's decision, citing Quill's physical presence requirement. In other words, the South Dakota Tax Department lost in South Dakota. The decision was appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, which held on appeal that the Quill physical presence standard was incorrect and should be overturned, going back to what Justice Kennedy was hoping for. Even though the majority contemplated the effect of the decision on small business, especially small businesses that make small volumes of sales to customers in a number of states, the court dismissed this challenge, suggesting that software is available at a reasonable cost, or <laughs> uh, cost would be available to help small businesses cope with the compliance issues of potentially filing in thousands and thousands of jurisdictions. What a joke. So you have software. So what? So you file uh, by, based electronically. So what? Each one of those things have to be perfect. Each one takes at least 10 or 20 minutes to go through. Each one has a banking transaction that takes 10 or 20 minutes to go through if it all goes well. Thousand, what a joke. A bunch of justices sitting up there who have never been in business. What a joke. Chief Justice Roberts, in his dissent, clearly recognized the compliance burden that the majority placed on the smallest of small businesses. His dissent predicted that small businesses would be subject to a patchwork system that would pr prove baffling for many retailers, beyond baffling, intimidating, uh, authoritarianism. Uh, so, and, and let me point out, okay, you're, you're, you're filing with thousands of jurisdictions, and then what will happen next? You'll start to get letters from them. Oh, you calculated this wrong. Oh, there's an error here. Oh, uh, the, somehow the money didn't come through. Now you have somebody spending their days and nights responding to these, uh, these notices, all by certified mail, back and forth. And you give the first response. They don't like it. You have to give the second response. Thousands of jurisdictions. Again, people making judgments with no practical experience other than, thank you, uh, Justice uh, Roberts, who, uh, at least in some way, understood what problem this would be. So with the current law, following the Wayfair decision, 43 states and the District of Columbia have adopted some type of state sales tax collection and remittance obligation for out-of-state vendors. Sure, I got a Supreme Court case. Let me pass a law that's supported by the Supreme Court. That's the law of the land. You can't really argue with me. You must comply. Resistance is futile. <laughs> in these states, in the District of Columbia, a single transaction can potentially trigger a single transaction can potentially trigger a tax liability or can require the seller to file a return with that state. But in a majority of these states, sellers with less than a specified threshold of sales and transactions are exempt from filing in the state. Uh, and uh, uh, with the state and collecting and remitting remitting the taxes. Excuse me. So so you know if you have if you have ten transactions and they're for three hundred dollars, you're probably okay. But a lot of folks are much bigger. Marketplace facilitator laws. Thirty eight states 
plus the District of Columbia, have implemented marketplace facilitator laws that shift the tax collection obligation from small businesses to online marketplaces, Amazon, eBay, uh, um, ESTY, not sure what that is, that facilitate sales taxes. Here in California, we passed a law that uh, was effective January 1st, 2020, in which case um, eBay and Amazon have to, have to, have to collect sales tax uh, from anybody selling through their platform. And that was because the state of California recognized the foolishness of this whole situation that all these little businesses can't possibly comply, but eBay and Amazon can. They have your, your they, they're touching the money. They have your zip code. They know where you are. They know what sales tax rate to apply. And in a few seconds, they can make sure that money's been collected and they can pass over millions and billions of dollars to uh, each state and, and relieve the uh, underlying company from that obligation, which may, may, let me point out is one really, really good, important reason why if you're starting a small business, you might want to do it through the facilitators, if nothing more than relieving yourself of the nightmare of trying to individually having to comply with all these rules because Amazon, Amazon and eBay, and I believe through Apple, Apple Store, uh, will take care of the sales tax for you. Um, which is a good thing. Streamlined sales and use tax agreements. Even though 23 states have signed onto a streamlined sales and use tax agreement, which is a national effort by state and local governments to establish uniform sales and use tax standards, the top six states for collection by population, California, Texas, Texas just enacted a, a, a newer sales tax, Florida, New York, Illinois, and Pennsylvania have not joined the agreement. So client comes to you and walk through it and you say, yeah, you need to sign up. Ooh, you can go to this website for the Streamline Sales and Use Tax Agreement. It's a really nice place. You sign up. but uh, 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 So you're good with a lot of states, but you're not good with the most important states, in my view, California, Texas, Florida, New York. New York will come down like a, a pile of bricks on people who don't comply. Illinois, also tough. Pennsylvania. Okay. Impact on small businesses. From orthotic shoe shops, outdoors sporting goods stores, drone dealers, jewelry suppliers, and dealers, to scrapbook supply sellers, and again, I'm just going to keep inserting, and people who sell some services on the internet, uh, which are deemed to be the sale of a tangible product. Businesses of different sizes and products have demonstrated that the Wayfair decision has impacted their businesses in three ways. First, their businesses, listen to this, folks. First, their businesses have experienced an exponential growth in the number of states and local jurisdictions they collect taxes in, remit sales taxes to, and must file reports with. So some young person who's a tax guy has to, even if it's all electronics, has to struggle through the accounting, the banking, the filing, the notice uh, replying to for all these things. Second, they all have had substantial increases in expenditures related to the amounts of employee time, attorney's fees, accounting fees, bookkeeping services, and sales tax software spent on compliance with the 10,814 different sales tax jurisdictions. Third, many sellers, especially those that sell on 
online marketplaces such as Amazon and have received unexpected sales tax notices from California, Massachusetts, and Washington State for non-payment of sales taxes prior to the Wayfair decision. Because now you've all loaded in and you've gotten compliant going forward, and their computer in the sky at these various states says, hey, where you been? Where you been in the past? We see the money coming in now. When did you start your business? Oh, you've been around for 15 years ignoring us. Hey, here's a questionnaire with 20 pages. You have to fill it out, answer all these factual informations, give us financial statements for all those years. And then we come back to you and say, guess what? You owe sales tax, interest, and penalty. And in many cases, I say this in all seriousness, you are bankrupt. You are bankrupt and there is no way out. Okay. These compliance burdens have cost these businesses thousands of dollars each year. That is a gross understatement. Many small businesses, such as high-performance apparel business in in Idaho, went from collecting sales tax in the state that they were physically located to collecting sales tax in 26 states. Another small business, an orthotic shoe shop in Michigan, provided a statement to the subcommittee that the sales tax compliance burden that his shop faced in 2018 and 2019 totaled $90,000 for a business that employed 10 people. $90,000 just to do your sales tax returns. A third small business, a mattress supplier with 70 employees located in Michigan, provided a statement to the subcommittee about back sales taxes assessed by the wonderful state of California from 2007. Seven. This is 2020. They went back to 2007, totaling $6,179,146, even though the company does not maintain a physical presence in that state. And again, I assume that company is bankrupt. In the dissent to Wayfair, Justice Uh, Chief Justice Roberts argued that Congress has the capability to investigate and analyze facts beyond anything the judiciary could match. He prescribed three lines of inquiry for Congress. One, whether the sales tax revenue for states and local governments under Wayfair have materialized without disruption to e-commerce. Two, weighing the benefits of additional sales tax revenue over foreseeable harm to e-commerce. And three, a compromise that allows states to tax internet sales by out-of-state retailers only if revenue from such sales exceed threshold amounts each year, which is what many states are doing. Congress has also had its own ideas on how to solve this issue. Most notably uh, are the Senate's Bipartisan Marketplace Fairness Act, uh, blah, 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 and the House's Bipartisan Remote Transaction Parity Act in the 115th Congress, neither of which has been reintroduced in the 116th Congress, which I believe is this one. Both pieces of legislation sought to establish a fair economic nexus standard instead of a physical presence standard. Legislation that has been introduced in the 116th Congress includes the protecting business from burdensome complaint, blah, blah. I'm not going to go, you know, there are hundreds of tax bills submitted to Congress every year by congressmen trying to do the bidding of, of their constituents, identifying a valid problem, trying to put in a bill. 
a very small percentage go anywhere. They die in committee. They don't get to the floor. They don't even get a vote in either the House and Senate. And if you recall, you have to get passed by the committee in the House. You have to get passed by the full House. You've got to get passed by the Senate Finance Committee. You've got to get passed by the Senate, the full Senate. You've got to get the president's administration to agree. And then maybe, maybe one out of every 1,000 tax bills gets signed by the president and becomes law. Conclusion, as Congress moves forward to examine the issues left unresolved by Wayfair decision, and I will add the pain and agony and bankruptcy that result, it should keep small rather than mid-sized and large businesses at the forefront of its mind. Small businesses are the lifeblood of the U.S. economy, creating two-thirds of net jobs and accounting for 44% of the U.S. economic activity. This hearing will examine how, Wayfair, how the Wayfair decision will continue to impose a barrier for small businesses to participate in interstate commerce, which could hinder further economic growth. Never has something uh, been so understated in the history of Congress. It is a nightmare. And many people are living with their head under the pillow saying, I just have to ignore it. I can't possibly comply. Uh, many others are, are running to Amazon, uh, the, the Apple store, and some others saying, good, you take care of that for me. Uh, and I, it must be every other week I talk to a potential client where uh, this comes up and they go, wow, wow, are you kidding? Are you kidding? That's how your law works in your country. We have VAT in Europe and it's fairly standardized and everyone kind of understands it. It's been around for 40, 50 years and it's inputs and outputs and net. You don't end up often paying much. That's not sales tax in the United States. So uh, thank you for your patient listening. Again, that's uh, the uh, introduction from the Committee on Small Business Subcommittee on Economic Growth and the hearing they had on Wayfair on March 3rd, 2020. I read uh, further that in the committee hearing, some of the Congress said, congressmen said, well, you know, this, this really is a state issue. It's not a federal issue. Well, that, that is exactly the problem. It's a nationwide problem. It, it, the, the court case that caused the problem is a federal case that all the states are taking advantage of in an uncoordinated manner, in my view. Let's always go to root cause analysis. Things should progress through life faster, better, cheaper, more elegant, more intuitive. Things can get to the right answer quicker. Nope. Now let's have a federal ruling that gives each state the power to, on a sovereign basis, go off and do their own thing within certain limits and Again, the small guy selling this widget in his mother's basement can have thousands and thousands of uh, filing requirements. And again, my comments here uh, and related to the hearing itself are focused on sales tax, but you are uh, one inch away when you have sales tax nexus from having income tax nexus requiring many companies to file in 30 or 40 states. Okay, I hope that was informative. All that stuff is on the internet and easy to find. And I hope you learned a little bit. Uh, if you have any questions, please give us a call. Again, take into account, uh, don't rely on anything you hear on this podcast before you uh, enter into a transaction or put a number on a tax return and file it. I am Ron Cohen. I'm a partner at the CPA firm of Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson & Company in beautiful Fremont, California. Our phone number is 510-797-8661. And we'll see you next week.